1: And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's Thursday, November the 24th, 2022, in the year of our Lord. Thanksgiving Day. On November 24th, 1963, Jack Ruby shot and killed Lee Harvey Oswald, the accused assassin of President John F. Kennedy. Happened in a scene that was captured on live television. I remember it well. Today, in 1859, Charles Darwin published On the Origin of Species, that explained his theory of evolution by means of natural selection. the education complex in America bought into it. Some of them still do, but most of them see have so many holes that anybody in their right mind have a hard time, hard time defending Charles Darwin's evolution. Today, in 1941, the U.S. Supreme Court in Edwards v. California unanimously struck down a California law prohibiting people from bringing impoverished non-residents into the state. California, 1941. Boy, have things changed. Two million people under this president have illegally entered the United States, many of them impoverished. Today, in 1944, during World War II, U.S. bombers based on Saipan attacked Tokyo in the first raid against the Japanese capital by land-based planes. Today, in 1947, a group of writers, producers, and directors that became known as the Hollywood Ten was cited for contempt of Congress for refusing to answer questions about alleged communist influence in the movie industry. Today, in 1969, Apollo 12 splashed down safely... In the South Pacific. And today in 1971, a hijacker calling himself Dan Cooper parachuted from a Northwest Orient Airlines 727 over the Pacific Northwest after he had received $200,000 in ransom. His fate remains unknown. We know him as D.B. Cooper. Indeed. That story just has a life of its own, and it goes on. And the other day, a, I saw several big articles about it, talking about that, and where is D.B. Cooper? They think they've kind of found the guy that might have been D.B. Cooper, and I can't remember if he's still living or was, is not, but they found him somewhere in the Midwest or something. I mean, who knows? But, boy, that is a story that is, uh, <laughs> just, just has a life of its own. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians in chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 and 18, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Today it is, we live in a culture, as I was talking about it yesterday a little bit, we live in a culture that doesn't doesn't seem to foster people wanting to be thankful because we're People are looking around trying to survive socially on every front. They're trying to find a way to protect their children from all of the nonsense in public schools. They're trying to find a way just simply to exist as man and woman in a world that is demanding that we recognize all these 49 or 59 various pronouns that people identify with. We're saying that God made a mistake, that God didn't even know what he was talking about when he created male and female. He said he made male and female, and he said he made them in his likeness. But no, our culture today says, no, that's not right. There are all kinds of people in between the male and female designation, and on and on it goes. So how do we be thankful in these kinds of circumstances? We simply commit ourselves to Scripture and to truth, and we rejoice always, not in denial. We pray without ceasing. That's incredibly important. Just be prayerful. You mean, do I get down on my knees somewhere and stay there all day praying? No. Just in your everyday, wherever you're going, just be in a prayerful attitude. I learned that from... I was very blessed. My parents and grandparents, they were always... They looked at everything from a biblical point of view to the best of their ability. They saw everything. Every problem was something that was less than what God was. God could control anything. And I just learned that as a kid, and I've been so grateful as an adult throughout my life. Pray without ceasing. Just in everything, give thanks. Not for everything— I mean, man, there's things that happen in our lives that we say, God, I thank you for this, whatever. But we just come to a point where we say, God, in all of this, I don't understand sometimes what all's going on in my life, in my family, in my community, in my country. But God, I do know that you are almighty God who was and is and evermore shall be. Because this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So we are thankful in whatever circumstances we find ourselves in. I want to talk a little bit more about thankfulness. I'd like to share a letter from the governor of Washington State. I'd like to share a letter with you. These are his words. A proclamation by the governor. Whereas our pilgrim ancestors established one of the most cherished traditions of our land 330 years ago by setting aside one day each year to give thanks to God for his bountiful blessings, and whereas the life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness for which they crossed the sea are still the basic freedoms of every American in spite of the wars and conflicts which have threatened us throughout our history, and whereas today A a godless tyranny again casts its evil shadow over the world, endangering the way of life for which our forefathers and uh, and our fighting men have paid so dear a price. And whereas it behooves us in giving thanks to pray as well that God, in his infinite wisdom, guide us, giving us strength and courage to face the tasks of the future, now... Therefore, I, to his name, Governor of the State of Washington, by virtue of authority that is vested in me, do hereby proclaim Thursday, November twenty-second, to be a day of thanksgiving in the State of Washington, and call upon the people of the State to set aside their ordinary tasks and express their gratitude for the blessings which are ours, to observe this day in deep consciousness of our indebtedness to our God for the blessings we enjoy." Let us pray that out of the maelstrom of human conflict that imperils us today will come a new and better world in which all people may live in peace and harmony one with another, and let us pray that we may so conduct our lives as to be worthy of the peace for which we pray. Then it's signed by the governor. No, no, not, not that governor, not Jay Inslee. No, this was a different... Governor, Arthur B. Langley, (laughs) signed this. And that's what he had to say about Thanksgiving back then. I have a vague memory of Arthur B. Langley. He served twice, as you may know. He was uh, governor, and then he wasn't, then he was governor again. And the first one was before I was born. But afterward, when I was a kid, some of my family spoke often of Governor Arthur B. Langley, and they spoke very favorably toward him, and some of them don't tell anybody, but some of them were Democrats. Democrats in the Yakima Valley. But they spoke well of him. The ones, At least the people I was around, not all of them were Democrats, but some of them were. But they spoke well of him because they thought that he was a good man and a godly man and so on. I don't think any of them knew him personally. I certainly did not, but His words ring a very clear and clarion note for us today. I wish we could, not to go back, but I wish our governors could find it within themselves to say things like that today, but they don't. They're too involved in changing the climate, assuming the role of God to control the weather and so on. But I wish they could, because that is what that that's the message we need to hear because God, God has so blessed America and He's blessed us. We go through our rough times and in all of these things we give thanks. But I will tell you, I will tell you, God, God is blessing His people and He wants to bless His people. I want to share a story of just one incident of the, of how the providence of God was so evident in the founding of this nation. And if you would just take a moment, and let's look back for a moment so we can better understand the, the present and the future. Let's look back to about 402 years ago. There was a group of weary, bone-tired pilgrims. They walked on shore where an abandoned Indian village had once existed. As their leader, William Bradford, and the Christians who had made the journey with him on, set their foot on dry lands, their Nikes were still soaking wet from walking off the boat. An Indian man walked toward them. He spoke English, perfect English. His name was Squanto. Without him and his friendship, by all accounts, these first pilgrims would have survived, and would not have survived, and likely the new nation would never have been born. Squanto proved to be a miracle— I want to tell you a little bit about him, and he was awaiting for those who came to the New World seeking religious freedom. No, he didn't know they were coming, but he happened to be in the right place at the right time, as they say. So that's the story where it begins. The journey that brought Squanto to his first meeting with Bradford in this group was also miraculous. It was a miracle that he was even there at the right time when these people walked off this boat, and they were beaten up. I mean, it was not a like a cruise ship traveling from the old world to the new world. Their life was at risk every day. I mean, their boat was so beaten up by by the waves that the main beam in one of the boats was broken. They didn't even know if they were going to make it to the new world, to America. So they get off the boat, and it's a miracle. There's this Indian guy that meets them because... His village used to be where they happened to land. They were blown way off course. They were really headed for Virginia, but they ended up in Massachusetts, what is now Massachusetts, as you know. The journey that brought Squanto to this first meeting with Bradford and his group was miraculous. In many ways, it kind of parallels the Old Testament story of Joseph. Eric Matek says, and the Chuck Colson Ministries have done a lot of research on this, I want to tell you up front that this story that I'm about to share with you has been challenged by the left. But everything is challenged by the left. I knew Chuck Colson, not personally, but I was with him several times, interviewed him on television a couple of times. He was in our church as a guest speaker. I had him there, and uh, so I knew him. And I know that the people at Chuck Colson Ministries are doing a good job. They continue to do a good job, and they carry on in the integrity of Chuck Olson. And they have done a lot of research. I believe them. I don't believe the dissenters, because they don't want this story to be true. But it is. So how no matter how many times you've heard this scoffed at or laughed at in a classroom, or even from a pulpit sometimes, I believe this account is true, because they have researched. In fact, they produced a National Geographic film called St- Saints and Strangers, which this story is part of the storyline. Englishmen and other Europeans have been visiting, had been visiting the shores of America for nearly 200 years before Bradford arrived. This wasn't like a new thing where they just showed up and like these white guys. Often it's painted that way, but it wasn't. What made this group different was that they came in peace not to make war or steal. Why would Squanto, who had seen white men visit before, bond with Bradford and his group in the way that their relationship developed? It's apparent that Squanto was taken with the pilgrims' faith and their convictions. There were people on the Mayflower that were not here for religious purposes. They were simply business people looking for an opportunity. But their faith had brought them through a treacherous void to an unknown land. Bradford's faith had brought him through the death of his wife upon arrival It had sustained him through the separation from his son, an ocean away. Their convictions had brought them to this place where they could freely worship God. The relationship between Bradford and Squanto was a miracle. An Indian who encouraged the leader of the Poconut uh, tribe to become allies with the English people because of his bond of friendship with Bradford. It all began right there, this relationship. However, equally miraculous is the story of how Squanto became conversant in the English language and English customs and their ways. He knew these people. He knew about them. He spoke their language fluently. That's another example of God's hand in American history. In 1612, a trader named Captain Hunter came to the coast of what is now Massachusetts. He was trading with the Indians. When they came down to the shore to meet and trade with him, he attacked them. That happened. It happened on this day. His men took the Indians on board their ship, took them across the Atlantic, and sold them into slavery in uh, Magla, uh, Spain. So monks in Spain saw the plight of these Indians, and they saw them being sold into slavery, and they bought them. And by all accounts, they treated them very well. They didn't abuse them at all. But obviously, the Indians there were exposed to the Christian faith. Squanto was one of those slaves. They had captured him and stolen him on these very shores where these pilgrims meet, uh, met him. So in 1615, Squanto and several others were assisted in going up to England so they could get, get a ship back across the Atlantic to their home. They had been telling these people in the, in the, uh, that bought them, basically their owners, so to speak, that the monks... They had been telling them they were lonesome. They wanted to go home, and would you allow? And the monks facilitated them and said, yeah, we'll help you. So that was the turn of events at this point in the story. There were no ships it, uh, scheduled, so Quanto got a job as a stable boy working for an English family named Slaney. He worked for them about five years until a trading ship announced it was sailing to the coast of America. Undoubtedly, Squanto had learned much about the Christian faith from the monks, He had been likely praying for a miracle, a ship that was going back to home, and this was his answer to prayer. So the ship becomes available. They ask him to be their translator. And miracle of miracles, the ship was scheduled to land in Massachusetts rather than Virginia. Once on the shore, when he got there, he ran to his tribal village only to find it abandoned. And the researchers are uncertain about what happened to that group of people. No, they weren't killed by the white guys. But all had died from a disease is the best answer to what happened to this village. All of this is documented. We don't know for sure if it actually if he actually had accepted Christ as his Savior, but it's certain that he was very familiar with the Christian faith and the biblical teaching. Having no family or tribe to reconnect with, he went to live with this neighboring tribe of Indians. It soon became apparent, Squanto, that he had as much in common with the English people as he did with the neighboring tribe. So Squanto, not really fitting in, he went to live alone in the woods, and he gravitated back to where his village had been, where they had enslaved him and took him to become a slave in Europe. Squanto was now living alone in the woods when these people showed up. He went out and met them. He observed them. He saw them. He saw them defending on their faith to get them through that first hard winter. And it was tough. That first hard winter is well documented. 50% of the community died that first winter of the pilgrims and the people who came. He saw the death of Bradford's wife, the disease, the hunger, the horror. But he also saw the faith of these Christian convictions and these Christians. He said they, they never quit praising the Lord, and they never quit thanking God for the for the goodness and the blessings. And yet, he said, they're dying, it's, they're, they're starving, they're freezing. He saw all that. He saw them live out their Christian convictions in a very, very hostile, weather-wise environment. Through observation of the people living by faith in Almighty God, guided by conscience and biblical conviction, Squano had bonded with them. Particularly Bradford. So he ultimately became one of them because he had more in common with them than he had with his own or with this neighboring Indian tribe. Squanto's home had been abandoned because he had a new home. They became his family. He knew everything there was to know about raising corn. If it was Squanto that taught the pilgrims how to plant using a fish for fertilizer, how to plant a gourd around the corn, so it grew up the corn stalk. He knew how to get eels out of the streams. He knew where the lobsters live. He knew everything the pilgrims needed to know. Yet he needed to know in order to survive. And the Lord used him miraculously. Squato's human needs had been met. The pilgrims' human needs had been met. The seeds of a new nation had been sown. And God had been faithful. It was in this context of the miraculous that they gathered that first Thanksgiving day and gave thanks to God. And it doesn't matter how much the secular progressive, so-called, try to make this a different story. They try to change it. They try to revise it. They try to cancel it. But it really did happen that way. There's an abundance of evidence. On this Thanksgiving day, I trust that we will remember the miraculous moments in our own lives and thank God for them. And there may be some going through that hard winter, that difficult time now. Oh, it's different than then, but the challenges are the same. Even now, God is working all things together for good according to his purposes. On this day, I would strongly recommend that you thank God. Take a moment. Get away from the football game. And football games are great. But get away from the football game, the table, the turkey, and just thank God in your own heart, in your own way, however that is. Thank God for the goodness that He has brought to our lives. Thank God for who He is, the blessings He has brought to to. To this country. Among the things that George Washington, who spoke often of the goodness of God, among the things that he said to a young and a beginning to thrive nation, he said this He said, Whereas it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey his will, to be grateful for his benefits, and humbly to implore the protection and favor of Now, therefore, I do recommend and assign Thursday, the 26th day of November, next, to be devoted by the people of these states to the service of that great and glorious being who is the beneficent author of all the good that was, that is, that will be. That we may then all unite in rendering unto him our sincere and humble thanks, and also that we may then unite in most humble offering our prayers and supplications to the great Lord and ruler of nations and beseech him to pardon our national and our other transgressions. What he was saying in this, President Washington was saying what the Apostle Paul had said more than a thousand years before. Paul's perspective was, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. More important than the President's perspective is our own personal perspective. Who is our source? Is it the government? Is it the culture? No, it's none of that. It's the Lord, it's God Almighty, who was and is and evermore shall be. We find it interesting, and I quote it again, Grover Cleveland in 1885, he said, let us by no means forget why, while we give thanks and enjoy the comforts which have crowned our lives that truly grateful hearts are inclined to the deeds of charity. And what a kind and thoughtful remembrance of the poor will double the pleasures of our condition and render our praise and thanksgiving more acceptable in the sight of the Lord. Talk about not only being thankful to God for the blessings that have come to us, but to share those blessings. The overflow of blessing with the people who are at this moment in need. That is the spirit of thanksgiving. Ronald Reagan would say years later in 1981, Ronald Reagan said, In this spirit, Thanksgiving has become a day when Americans extend a helping hand to the less fortunate. Long before there was a government welfare program, this spirit of voluntary giving was ingrained in the American character. Americans have always understood that truly, one must give in order to receive. This day should be a day of giving as well as a day of thanks. So very, very true. In giving thanks for the greatest harvest in the history of our nation, we who plant and reap can well resolve that in the year to come we will do all in our power to pass that milestone, for by our labors in the fields we can share some part of the sacrifice with our brothers and sons who wear the uniform of the United States. Be thankful for them as well. It is fitting. Franklin Delano Roosevelt said this, a Democrat, in 1942. He said, It is fitting that we recall now the reverend words of George Washington. And he quoted Washington. Almighty God, we make our earnest prayer that thou will keep the United States in thy holy protection, that every American, in his own way, lift his voice to heaven. That's what all this is about. It's about giving thanks to Almighty God, which is above all of what's happening in our culture. You know, sometimes I I will just be very candid with you about this. Sometimes on this program, we do every day, we talk about what's going on in the world. And sometimes I get sick and tired of hearing some of the stuff that we talk about, that I talk about on this program each day. We originate live in the morning, each morning at 9 a.m. Some of you listen to this program a little bit later, but sometimes I get sick and tired of talking about men and who dress up like women and claim they are women, and then the culture that stands by and says, oh, yes, of course, of course. I get sick of that. But we have to be informed. We have to know what's going on. But sometimes I hear people say, I can't take any more of the news. I just want to turn it off and get away from it. But that isn't what God wants us to do in all of these circumstances. Persecution that's coming on conservatives, and particularly Christians, and all of these kinds of things that are happening— it's God's will for us that we endure these things because God's purposes are higher, greater than ours. His ways are higher than ours. But it's his purpose, his will that we endure these things, but it's his will, according to Paul, that we give thanks in these things. So we just look up. Keep our eyes focused on the Lord and on Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And there are so many things to be thankful for, so very, very much to be thankful for. And that, I I believe, is what the Lord would have us to do. So we can talk about, we can be informed as to what's going on in our culture. It is rotting, but we are to stand and be light and salt, and we are to stand for the goodness, the mercy, and the greatness of Almighty God who lives within us. So today on this Thanksgiving— Do not be discouraged, be encouraged, and most of all, be grateful, be thankful, and be blessed. Thanks for being with me today. I'll see you on Monday.